Okay. Now, what is the showbread then? What, what does that mean? First, we have a fixed revelation of the, of the bread. And that's, that revelation is Jesus. We can't deviate from that. So when we say bread in a spiritual sense, we're saying this is something that has to do with Jesus Christ. Then we say, but now let me understand who Jesus is. First, he was the Word. He was the Logos, the eternal Word of God. He was in with God. He was God. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full grace and truth. So, Jesus Christ was the Word of God made flesh. Now, that Word of God also comes to us. 1 Peter 1, he says this, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of sperma, not of seed, that word is sperma, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and the abiding word of God. You see that? How are we born again? By the sperma of God, which is the living and the abiding word of God. So when does that sperma come into us? He comes into us with the Spirit of Christ when we're born again, right here. We are born again by the Spirit of Christ or the eternal Word of God, the sperma of God, comes into us right there. Now that same Word then, or Jesus Christ is that bread that comes down to feed the whole world. So if you eat that bread and drink that blood you have eternal life. Because he said, my body is true food and my blood is true drink. So when you examine John 6 and you see the types, he says, our fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which come down out of heaven. You eat of that and you never die. So we find the type. The type is the manna. See? Then when you, when you take... Everything he says in John, the sixth chapter, you begin to understand this cannot be the Lord's table. That's not the Lord's table. So many people read those verses at the Lord's table and think when they take the cup and they eat the wafer that they're fulfilling John 6. The Lord's table is remembering his death until he comes again. It's proclaiming his death and the second coming. When you read those verses, you see they're different than John 6. And when you've taken the Lord's table, you have not fulfilled John 6. John 6 is something different. But what we find from John 6 is that that, that showbread has something to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and it has something to do with the eternal word of God. Which is the bread which we eat. That word of God. 
It's through the Word that we're born again, but it's through the Word that we, that we receive eternal life. It's through that Word that we, that we hear from God. We learn from God. He teaches us through that Word. Now, the revelation of the showbread, I want to do some detail. Because people get the understanding that we just make this all up as we go along. And if you've read uh, uh, books on types and shadows, they'll do, they'll do the little cord here. And they'll do that little crown there. And they'll do all these little colors. And they spend hours and hours saying this thread means that. And that thread means that. That thread is this and that. But there's no revelation like that. There's nothing in the Bible that will tell you what those threads are. I've searched and searched and, and because I teach the tabernacle, I go everywhere, everybody gives me a book on the tabernacle. So I've got a stack of books on the tabernacle. And I've, I've read, and not all of them, but, and not all of every one of them, but I look through it to see if they have any revelation. And when they say this thread means that and that thread means that and this thread means that, I just throw the book away because I know they're making up they're making it all up because there is nothing in the Bible that tells you what those threads are. And you see them straining with this verse and straining with that verse to make it try to say what they're saying. It doesn't say that. So I want to show how the revelation of the showbread comes and how you work it out because it'll help you working out other details of it. As you, as you study the purpose of God and the things of God, you need to understand how, how do you work these things together. You know about Melchizedek. <clears throat> it said he had no father, no mother. I have a commentary that says, it's too bad they lost his genealogy. It'd be interesting to see who he was. But it didn't say he, he, he didn't even have a genealogy. They couldn't have lose, lost it because he didn't have one. He had no beginning of days. He had no end of life. He had no mother. He had no father. So he says, now how do we find out who he is? First, we interpret his name. Melchizedek means the king of righteousness. Then the Bible says that he was a king of Salem. And Salem means peace. So he was the king of peace. Then he was a priest of the most high God. <laughs> so, by interpreting his name, we find out a revelation of who Melchizedek is, see? So, in the same way, there's many things in the Bible where you have to interpret the name. Because the name doesn't include the revelation. Because the, the writers of the Bible have to pick a word that best describes what it says. For example... When the priests consecrated themselves, they had to bring the consecration offering. And they put the leg on here, and they put the bread, and they put, they put, all, they put all, so much stuff on the priest's hands that they couldn't do anything else. I mean, their hands was filled with the consecration. They couldn't do anything else. And when they got their, all this stuff piled on their hands, they took it and waved it before the Lord like that. It was called the wave of the consecration. The consecration of the wave offering, like this. 
And it says that God will ordain them through seven days in which they must not go out of the sanctuary. But that word ordain is a word that somebody chose to try to say what happened when they made the consecration offering. But the Hebrew word is very clear. It says to fill your hands. That's what it says. So when you consecrated yourself, he filled your hands. Now we wonder why so many people are laying empty hands on people, right? And they don't get anything, do they? <laughs> See, Paul told Timothy, you stir up the gift that's in you. You got it through the laying on of the presbytery's hands. They had something in their hands to impart to Timothy, and so Paul knew he got it. See? But now we have everybody running around here with empty hands, saying in the name of Jesus, right? And they don't get anything. So God fills our hands at the consecration offering. And you can trust it. Because... The Bible is very clear that when the whole consecration was burned, then they took the legs and, and these things, these other sacrifices, which are part of the, of the four, and they piled them on their hands and they waved them before the Lord. And that whole process was called the filling of the hands. But if you read in the Bible, it'll say, ordain. But I know a lot of people who are ordained who don't have anything in their hands, see? <laughs> but that's where, that's how you interpret these words. You have to find out what the word said. Because much of the Hebrew is idioms. It's sayings. And we don't have a word in Spanish or a word in English that says exactly what that says. It's a phrase. The filling of the hands. We are translate ordain. But the word is an idiom. It's a phrase. Now, this is very valuable to know these things because when you interpret the showbread, you have to interpret so many words. So what I did was I went through the scriptures and I found every place that the showbread was mentioned. And in all these different places where they mentioned the showbread, they used different names for it. It's It's strange. You'd think that the showbread would have one word that every time you saw the showbread, it'd be the same word, wouldn't it? But it's not that way. One place, the showbread is called, well, the, the way it's translated is, it's called the uh, showbread, it's called the consecrated bread, it's called the holy bread, it's called the bread of the presence, it's called the bread of the face, it's called the continual bread, it's... It has all these different meanings to it. So when you look it up, you'll find that the one place it says this about this bread, the consecrated bread, it's called lechem. Another place is called ponim. Another place is called makarath. And in the Greek, because two times the New Testament speaks this showbread, one place is artios, and the other is prothesis. Pro means to set, to put out. And theo is God. So thesis means to set out before God. Prothesis. 
So as you interpret each one of these words, you'll see that he speaks about the bread of the presence, the bread of his mouth, um, the consecrated bread. It has all these different words. So you can't find out what the showbread is from one word. And since God has used so many words, I decided to, to interpret each word and make a phrase. So that from each one of these words, speaking of the showbread, we understand one part. One part of the revelation. So this is, this is what they, the phrase is that you make from all these words. It says, we must appear before his presence with great reverence to inquire of him personally, to meet at his mouth, to see what he will say to us, to meet with him face to face. It says, one place is called the bread of his face. You had to meet with him face to face to hear his voice and receive our food and feed on him. <laughs> Let me say that again. We must appear before his presence because it's called the bread of the presence with great reverence and awe because that, that whole connotation is part of that word. <clears throat> To inquire of him personally. To meet at his mouth. The reason is, is that these words are idioms. They, they, they're Hebrew idioms. They say things that we can't convey very well in English or Spanish or other languages. Uh, in Hebrew, if I were going to say to you, we're going to go to Carlos's house and find out what he's going to say to us. The Hebrew idiom is, come with me, we're going to meet at Carlos's mouth. <laughs> See? Because that says it all. If we're going to meet at his mouth, it means he's going to say something to us, right? We're going to find out what he will say to us. That's why we go meet at his mouth. See? If we were going to meet at his ear, it means we were going to speak to him, right? We're going to tell him something. But if we're going to meet at his mouth, we're going to learn something. See? So these idioms don't have a single word. So at, when I began to study the thing, I said, well, how did they get showbread out of this? But one, one word means to show the bread. And so they, they, choose, they choose a word that they can translate. Showbread. See? And it's as good as any single word that you could choose. You, and I thought I could choose a better word than that, but when I say going through it, you can't. Showbread is as good a word as you can find. But it doesn't say what the showbread is. See? So you have to search it out to find out. And while these things are kind of mysteries, a mystery is not something that cannot be known. A mystery is something that's not generally known. Right? But it's something that you can find out if you seek. You'll find. So he says, we must appear before his presence with great reverence to inquire of him personally, to meet at his mouth, to see what he will say to us, to meet with him face to face, to hear his voice, receive our food, and feed on him. Where, you know where I got that from? They had to eat the showbread. They had to set it out fresh every week. 
then they had to eat it. Then they set out fresh bread. What this says is, that in that statement, that when God gives us something from the showbread, that it is for us to eat. And from that eating, we get strength. We get sustenance. We, we get fed. Now, when you see what Jesus said in John 6, you see that he's speaking more about showbread than he is the Lord's table. Much, much more. And when you understand, if you read the whole thing and just take out those relevant things that speak about the showbread, you'll see that he fulfills all those things. Jesus fulfills those things. And he is the word of God. He's not the word of God that doesn't speak. He's the word of God that speaks. My sheep hear my voice. So we find that the word of God now in the tabernacle is in three measures. Because we have the washing of water with the word there, don't we? Then we have the word here for ministry. Or we have the revelations of the word of God. But when we do the Ark of the Covenant back here, we'll see that in that ark, under the mercy seat, there was a little pot, a gold pot, which had the manna. And in Revelation it says, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. <laughs> see? So the word of God is, is there in three measures. It's there for washing, it's there for food and revelation. And it's there where it's just personal. It's for you, for those who overcome. They're going to eat of the hidden manna. So the word of God is in different measures. And every measure is specific for some aspect of our life. The hidden manna is a personal thing that's just between you and God. It's not something you go out and share because it's, it's in there. You can't take that out. That's, that's private. That's just something that God showed you. Don't share that. <clears throat> so, this now is the, is this seven spirits of God are illuminating the showbread or the light that is falling upon the showbread is from the seven spirits of God. Now, in order to understand something about the showbread or this light which is coming from the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the two olive trees, in order to understand something about these seven flames of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, which are the seven eyes of the Lord, it would be necessary to study the seven spirits of God. That's in another study, but we may have time to do a little bit. Because it's interesting to see how these spirits work. In Isaiah 4, we'll see that they're in pairs. And there are balance between them. If you turn to Isaiah, the fourth chapter, 
we'll see one, one of the seven spirits of God here. <clears throat> when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Now, the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning is one manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Just one manifestation. But it's in two parts. You see that? Isaiah 4. Huh? 4-4. Four, four. <clears throat> he is the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. So there's a complete balance within his function in that aspect. There's a balance there. What it means is that when God judges something... He also has the power to evaporate it, to burn it. So if we took it in a personal uh, application, when God comes and judges something in your life, something that shouldn't be there, we don't have to go into depression or into condemnation and say, oh my God, I, I see it's wrong and nothing I can do about it, I can't. But then he'll come as a spirit of burning and burn it up. Do you see the grace of God there? The mercy of God? When he points out something that's not right, he will also come and handle the problem. See, if we ask him, he will come and burn it. He's the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. And it says he's going to purge Jerusalem through the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Is that, is that clear? Everybody understand that? Okay, now look in Isaiah 11. <clears throat> in verse 2 he said the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him he's talking about Jesus the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength or might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord so now we have three more manifestations of the seven. So that was four now. These are, these are three more. He's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. One of the things you see about Solomon is that he had great wisdom, but it didn't seem like he had much understanding of how to, you know, how to serve God with it. Although he served God for a while with it. Then he turns to other gods. But when that spirit of wisdom comes, he gives us the understanding how to use that wisdom. You see how, why there's a, a twin manifestation there? Let's say that God came and give you a specific understanding. But you didn't have any wisdom how to use it. See, what would you do with it? You go out on the street and start telling everybody this and that. And, and you wouldn't use wisdom in order to explain your understanding. You see how, why you have to have that, that other balance of that manifestation of the Holy Spirit. If he gives you wisdom, you have to have understanding how to use it. If he gives you understanding, you have to have the wisdom to use it. Now the next one is the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might or strength or power. Now, in this, in this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, he comes to give counsel, either to us or from us. It can work either way. 
But let's say he comes to give us counsel. And he tells you, I want you to go to Africa and minister to the Zulu tribe and do this and that and that. You say, oh my God, I don't have any grace. And I don't have the power to do that. No, that's not accurate. Because if he gives you the counsel, he also gives the power to do it. He gives the strength or the might, it says in the King James. The might to do it. Now, if he gives you might, but no counsel, you don't know what to do with it, do you? You don't know where specifically to go, what specific ministry to do with it. So he comes in these twin manifestations. And they balance one another to keep you from getting blown away into this, in this thing and that thing. See? He, keeps you, he keeps you focused. Then he says, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, when God begins to reveal things to us, let's say he reveals something from the showbread, something current, something for the church today. He gives us the knowledge of those things. He has to balance that with the fear of God, doesn't he? <laughs> Otherwise, you, you get on TV and start doing everything. You take, you take the knowledge that God has given you, and you don't, don't have the fear of God. You don't use the knowledge according to what God wanted to do with it. So he, when he gives you uh, when he gives you the fear of God, because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? So when he gives you the fear of God, he also gives you understanding or wisdom. He gives you something that will balance that. But when he gives you knowledge, he will, ideally, he'll put the fear of God in you. And that's how many times you can tell whether somebody has true spiritual knowledge or not. When you see somebody that's having, bringing forth revelation, have no fear of God, I say, wait a minute. That's not, that's not the manifestation of the balance of the seven manifestations of the Spirit of God. When you find knowledge, you should find the fear of God. Come with it. Also in Zechariah, a 12th chapter. <clears throat> in chapter, in verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourned for only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So in this, in this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, he gives the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication or intense prayer. It's the, the spirit of, uh, of inquiring of God, but it's more than just, just asking. You know, where people just get into, just ask, uh, claim it, or what we call name it and claim it. Uh, it's more than that. It's, it's a burden. It's a supplication. So, when, when God gives you something to pray for, now we're going, to, we're going to see this when we go to the altar of incense. When God gives you something to pray for, he will give you the grace to pray for. 
See? If God gives you a burden to pray, he will also give you the grace to do it. Or, if God gives you an abundance of grace, you feel grace, but you don't want to do with it. Right? Then, try praying. Try praying. And you'll find that he gives you the spirit of grace and supplication. Then, there will be a revelation of how to pray. It's not just praying for this and praying for that thing. Oh, God, give me a new car. Oh, God, I got a flat tire. You know, it's not just praying like that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm only saying that's not altar of incense prayer. And that's not what the showbread reveals. 